0: because we're all Americans here, uh, just the nature of this culture is many different cultural influences from countries all over the world, right? And, um, and in fact, our own American music is not really Western classical European music. So when you look at the influences that the kids we're teaching are surrounded by, they don't get a lot of classical music. Um, now, it can be our job to teach that to them for sure. You know? As teachers, we should introduce them to new things but also i feel it's just a general kind of rule of principle that everybody kids adults tend to be in the beginning most attracted to things that they already know and they're already familiar with everybody starts off wanting to play the stuff that they know
1: I'm Ben Capello, and welcome to All Keyed Up. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I spoke with the three members of The Piano Pod. The Piano Pod is a bi-monthly podcast hosted by three pianists and teachers from New York City, Yukimi Song, Clara Zhang, and Eric Hunter. Twice a month, they interview a guest speaker who has been breaking exciting new ground in the music industry. Started during the coronavirus pandemic as a way to adjust to the new musical reality, the goals of the PianoPod are to examine the traditions of the piano, adapt them, and expand its capabilities in this modern era. Each episode is also available in video format on their YouTube channel. The PianoPod's past guests include Frederick Schu, international concert pianist and creator of Deeper Performance Studies, Madeline Brucer of the Art of Practicing Institute, and Ray Mack, YouTube star and digital entrepreneur. Before we start, one feature of this podcast that I've started doing is helping other piano teachers promote their resources, as long as I look over them in detail myself and can vouch for their quality. If you've created something to help piano teachers and would like me to talk about it, feel free to reach out to me through the contact page at www.bencapolo.com. For today, I'd like to draw your attention to Rebecca Featherstone's program, Musicology. Although the pandemic will inevitably wind down at some point, it seems undeniable that online lessons are here to stay, at least to some extent. I'm sure we've all had a lot of experience teaching on Zoom, but I want to introduce an alternative, musicology. Musicology is like Zoom, but made by and for music teachers, and it features many tools that work well for our field a stopwatch for games, metronomes with different animal sounds, and a grand staff that the student and teacher can draw on together, which includes draggable notes and music symbols. On the audio end, it's designed to pick up all instrumental frequencies, eliminating the need for a fancy external microphone, and the latency is very low. It also has an option of a MIDI keyboard with notes that light up as you play. Musicology is available via tablet and early access via desktop. To learn more, visit www.musicology.ca. Now on to the interview. Hope you enjoy. Oh, members of the Piano pod, Yukimi, Clara, Eric, thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Ben. Thank you so much for Happy having us. Here. It's such an honor.
1: Oh, Thank you. My, the honor is mine. Uh, so one of the core missions of your podcast is to highlight different individuals who take piano kind of into the 21st century. And there's this quote I heard by Yukimi in one of your episodes that I want to read out loud, which I really liked, which is, we bring guests to shake up the world. Obviously, we're teaching something traditional and we're not trying to break that, but we can also have this more modern and contemporary approach to something old. So can you talk about what inspired you to create a podcast that looks at piano in this very forward-looking way?
2: Sure. Let me start. Okay, and for so, everyone
1: listening, this is Yukimi speaking.
2: hi, i'm I'm Yukimi, everyone. Okay, so I've taught college level students before coming to New York, and uh, after moving here in New York City, which was 2007, I started teaching young students. That's when I felt a disconnect or gap between, my client's expectations and the music education. So for example, as much as my clients, parents of the students who love classical piano music and ad- admire classical musicians for their discipline and artisanship, parents think it's an ancient approach in terms of methods and education. And then some of them do not know anything about classical music and they didn't grow up listening or learning about it. So there's no listening at home. So they are coolest in classical music literature, and they think playing the piano is as easy as pressing the button. So um, some, some will bring me this of Goldberg Variations for the first lesson to see if I can teach them at the first lesson. And then they expect every lesson to be fun and no pain. So uh, don't get me wrong, it should be fun and should be a positive experience for overall. But what happens when students face struggles or you know obstacles and is it, it, it I mean it is unavoidable and um, then am I the one to be blamed for that so I've always w- have this kind of questions and I wanted to create a space for piano teachers to discuss because I was feeling isolated from the rest of the world because I practice and I teach it was just so all one-on-one thing then um, several years ago I joined this number profit organization um, it's called the piano teachers congress of new york uh, this is a non-profit organization for piano teachers and students in the new york city tri-state area and they have professional meetings for teachers and events for students and also there is a thing called open forum which actually eric created it and that he hosts monthly uh, to uh for the p- local piano teachers to get together and just we just talk about music uh, something uh, everything related to music education. And obviously um, because of the COVID, uh, he is now hosting online. I mean, Eric can speak about it more <laughs> than I do, but then that's when I where I met Eric and then I've known Clara for such a long time. So then um, last summer in the height of pandemic, I thought, why don't we bring this open forum? to much wider audience, because I think as piano teachers, we all have similar issues and similar goals, purposes, and we can all share, and that would be great. So I thought I suggested to do podcasting um, to Eric and Clara, and then they said yes, so that was great. So I don't know if I'm answering your question, but um, as much as I love classical music, I'm also interested in many different fields. Um, in fact, my undergraduate degree was communications, and I'm very interested in visual arts, contemporary music, films, technology, and all these you know, other fields. They've done a great job catching up to the new age, new, new generations, and reaching out to wider, younger uh, uh, audiences, meaning their industries are su- successfully being integrated into our regular daily lives. So I thought, why don't we do the same same thing? The uh, classical music industry needs a bit of catching up to do. I thought. What do you think, Eric? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, the only thing I have to add to that is that, um, you know, when we thought about starting a podcast, basically we just wanted to talk about what interests us the most. And although, of course, we come from this great tradition of classical music and classical piano, and it is deep within our musical DNA. Uh, you know, we're really excited by the people who are really innovating in the industry and pushing it forward. And uh, and after every interview, we get just so revved up, you know, with new ideas. It's really inspiring to us. So that's what we were trying to focus on.
1: I love that phrase Yukimi used of catching up. And this is something I think a lot about in my own studio is how to teach classical music or teach piano in general in a way that's catching up with kind of What's going on today? And so I want to spend a lot of today's interview talking about a few different elements of piano teaching and how those may have changed over time and how those might be looking in the future and give our listeners kind of a glimpse of some of the topics you explore in your podcast. So there was a lot of in what Yukimi just said there that I kind of want to pick up on. The first one you brought up is being interested in a wide variety of fields. You mentioned visual arts. And one thing I like about on your podcast is you have had instances of bringing on people who, I don't know if they themselves are musicians, but at least their principal focus is not on music. And you had this great episode, I believe this was your first episode, with Dr. John Skidmore about performance anxiety. Um, on my podcast, I've also tried to have some people who are not principally musicians, so this is one area that I think is definitely an exciting trend in uh, music pedagogy is interdisciplinary focus and getting influence from mm-hmm. other areas besides music. Can you give me some um, examples or talk a little bit about some exciting kind of cross disciplinary interactions you see in the piano teaching world and how we can learn from other areas besides just music?
0: Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Well, Uh, Definitely, we're very interested in interdisciplinary approaches, and we hope to expand more on that in the future. Um, Maybe Yukimi can tell in a little bit the story of how we got started with Dr. Skidmore, um, which we feel is a very, very important topic that is performance anxiety. Um, But we also recently did an episode with Madeline Bruiser of the Art of Practicing Institute. And uh, you know she works a lot with meditation and mindfulness, which, again, links back to uh, performance practices and performance anxiety. There's definitely some overlap between those two episodes. But of course, they're taking it from a different angle. Um, and then we did uh, an episode with Mike Grande, who is the creator of Rock Out Loud, which is um, an online platform for music lessons and performance. Um, But unlike Zoom, for example, which, you know, a lot of people use, uh, Rock Out Loud was really built from the ground up uh, for the specific purpose of, you know, teaching the best possible um, online music lessons with the best possible audio quality you know, designed for instruments rather than speech and board meetings and things like that. Um, And he, you know, he was working on it for years before the pandemic, it wasn't like it hit and it was just, you know, he was ready to go because it was a long time in the making. Uh, Mm. We also like to talk to composers um, like Paolo Marcatini. Um, you know uh, obviously you know the composers (laughs) provide such a crucial role in what we do and um, and many of them are also pianists and And you yourself
1: are a composer as well I understand
0: occasionally yes (laughs) that is true (laughs) Um, yes yeah we, we feel the creative approach is very very important and You know, sometimes pianists can get really insular, you know, Uh, like uh, the nature of what we do forces us to be kind of locked alone in our rooms for hours a day. And um, so it's it's helpful to get a broader perspective.
1: Yeah, I really like that you brought up that interview about the art of practicing. Uh, I remember I listened to that interview and a lot of it was not about things that are specifically musical. There was a lot about kind of anatomy, and as you said, meditation. It kind of reminded me of one interview I did on this podcast with Marvin Blickenstaff, who said that he had all of his students attend a masterclass given by a hand surgeon who was not himself musical, and it was all about kind of the anatomy of fingers and I was thinking about that a little bit when I was listening to that episode. I also want to pick up on something Eric brought up about kind of feeling confined and kind of locked in into your own world. Um, One of the trends that I see a lot in the piano teaching world that I'm really excited by is that there's a lot more networking opportunities, I believe, than what used to be. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. I know in the intro episode of Piano Pod, Eric described one of the motivators of creating the podcast as feeling kind of described, uh, kind of feeling uh, confined in the way you were describing earlier. Can you talk about your thoughts on the ability of piano teachers to network with other piano teachers nowadays and how that will impact piano lessons moving forward?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, so You know, sometimes it feels like piano teachers are a little bit of, or pianists, are a little bit of a different breed compared to the rest of musicians, you know. Uh, When I was growing up, I also played violin for many years, and I played in orchestras. Um, And oftentimes, especially early on, pianists don't get to play with other people, you know. And uh, and when we do, we have to take on the burden of a lot of notes and a lot of the music. Um, And uh, that can be stressful and we have to practice more. Um, And uh, so when I was in music school, I found that me personally, I had a strong need to connect with other people and other musicians um, because I just needed it to complete my music education. I couldn't get everything I needed by myself in the practice room. You know, maybe I'm not a good enough musician to figure out all those things on myself. Uh, by myself Um, and then when I first moved to New York and started teaching private lessons here um, I did work on my own for many years because I felt I had a lot of things I had to figure out in my teaching just on my own but at a certain point I felt I kind of hit a wall in my journey in terms of how much I could just develop by myself and at that point I was like okay I really need to go back and be social again I need to find out what other people are doing kind of what the scope of the industry looks like. So that's when I started Open Forum, which was just a really casual idea in the beginning. I was like, you know, let's just have some people over here once a month. We'll have coffee, you know, and just talk about whatever we want to, you know, regarding our teaching, our students. I just want to meet some colleagues and find out what they're doing. Um, and that was pretty successful. And, you know, I was very fortunate to meet Yukimi and Clara through that. Um, and I found often it's the most creative, proactive teachers who would show up for these meetings. Um, and then, of course, everything changed once once we couldn't meet in person anymore, and so we moved it online. Um, and um, you know, we've always had uh, groups like MTNA, you know, teachers organizations, and. Um, uh, like conferences where people could get together and, and meet, but, you know, it can be a bit of a challenge. You have to make room in your schedule. Um, you know, it's been really nice that we've all been able to connect virtually throughout the last year. So now open forum is bringing in people from places like New Mexico, from Ottawa. We even had somebody, um, call in from Prince Edward Island, you know, a couple of months back. And, um, and also I want to uh, give a shout out to the Facebook piano group, Art of Piano Pedagogy, mm-hmm. uh, which has been an incredible resource for me and many other teachers for a number of years now. Um, I mean, the last time I checked, there was something like 25,000 piano teachers from all over the world who are part of it.
1: Yeah, I'm a member of that group as well.
0: Yes, so that's been an incredible resource because you're getting perspectives of piano teachers from all over the world, different cultures, different standards. Um, and really you can, anything you want to know about teaching, you can find out there. And, and there is the a lot same of the-
1: barrier to entry as there would be to kind of the MTNA conferences that you were talking about earlier. I mean, it's so effortless to see it.
0: Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think definitely just the nature of the internet has brought people together more and we have a lot more possibilities now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, may I add to this? I'm, I really encourage all the teachers, not. Uh, to get together virtually because we're very busy but you know by doing doing it virtually makes us really schedule with flexibility so and i would like love for you ben to join our open forum one of these days um too yes uh, that would be really a great so more we talk whether if it's the discussion setting or even uh, on social media, especially on the social media to leave a comment and talk about music education, talk about music in general, the better because we are triggering the algorithm, the Facebook algorithm. And more we talk, I feel like more ideas will pop up from our brain and uh we can really improve and um, have more, much more access to different things. So I think it's the more we talk, the better. Well, that's very
1: exciting about the open forum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I want to now talk about this idea of kind of how the internet and um, all of these online platforms have connected teachers a lot and talk about how that might impact piano students. Um, so one of the big trends also that I'd like to talk about, which you've touched on a bit in your podcast, is the idea that now people can play piano for very wide audiences online rather than just in-person recitals like it used to be. So there's YouTube and Twitch, and I know on your podcast, you've had very prominent influencers in both of those platforms. Can you talk about what effect it has for students today to be able to play for virtual audiences and platforms like that, in addition to also being able to play, at least when the pandemic is fully finished, in person for live audiences.
3: Thank you. Uh sure, yeah, I I I think all three of us and maybe all four of us, right? During the in the very beginning of pandemic, we were a little um concerned because, you know, a lot of our students are qu- quite young. But with me personally, my studio over the years in the last uh three, four years, even before pandemic, I have had some students uh, taking lessons uh, online in the summer. So I had a little experience, but I remember that day when pandemic hit and I was like, okay, we have to do this for the safety of the children as well. And then they switched. And I was just so amazed to this day, we're still fully online. And uh, even some of the younger students, like there's a four year old that, now is five, Uh, I, if it's my studio, we also create this uh, online classroom, uh, online practice room. So, you know, I went to the conservatory when I was very young. So I remember that experience when you go practice and you can also see other people practice. So because of our students are all spread around in New York City. So normally they don't get to see each other as often, but during this pandemic, not only all, all three of us will be hosting concerts, right? Our own studio. sometimes we have recorded concerts. Uh, with my studio, I think we had up to 20 concerts this year. And yeah, so, and the students are just doing so well. What? I'm like, so amazed. So right now I'm thinking maybe half of the students will remain online. So, and then the, the focus, the independence, they're never late for class again. So. I think it's actually a great yeah. thing. Yeah.
1: How did you broadcast those 20 concerts?
3: Uh, I didn't always broadcast all of the concerts. We do it on Zoom and then we invite oh, the okay. grandparents, um, you know. And so, yeah, as uh, in terms of a wider audience, you know, I had the students, mm-hmm. pe- uh, grandparents joining from Europe, from India. My parents were able to join with our recital. We had mm-hmm. so many audience from like, you know, eight, seven, eight, different time zones, I think. So it's a uh, fantastic tool.
1: Yeah, and I think that must be so cool for the students to be aware that they are piano playing is getting watched by people all over. Oh, yeah, in a way that they couldn't if it was an in person recital. Uh, I just want to pick up on this Twitch because I really enjoyed your interview with uh, the Twitch influencer. His name escapes me at the moment.
0: Jonathan Ong. Yeah.
1: Okay, yeah. So uh, I have one student who I just learned this week uh, is on Twitch. And he, he, I forget what the term is on Twitch, but people request songs on Twitch, and then you can kind of grant their requests. And this kid is 10 years old, and he said one of his requests that he played was listened to by 700 people (laughs) on Twitch. I mean, so this is such a different type of audience than what used to be available. So I think it's very exciting that our students get opportunities like Twitch or YouTube or these Zoom recitals that Clara was talking about, in addition to just... Fully in person recitals, like the old-fashioned
2: way. I agree, and it's not about one way or the other. Mm-hmm. It's exactly. about both. So mm-hmm. the the one thing one this pandemic taught us, musicians and mu- music teachers, is that there's another possibility to reach, and which is the digital format. And um, honestly, I was blown away by the our guest of the show, episode eight, Frederick Chu. Mm-hmm. He is a Recording artist, famous international pianist. He has 30 CD albums. Incredible individual, right? But he works so hard and he is really always tra- trying out something new, digital format. And then um, a couple months ago, I got to see his live performance uh, on YouTube and it was a classic smackdown. I mean, he creates this event and tried to engage audience digitally. Incredible What is a Smackdown? Um, Basically, he uh, compares two composers. The latest was um, Chopin versus Mendelssohn. He plays both pieces and then let the audience uh, vote, which they like or which they felt more connected to which composer. So it's just so so interesting. interesting. Composers
1: to pair against each other.
2: Yes, he was comparing the uh, young youth, young Chopin and young Mendelssohn. Yeah, so yeah.
1: Okay, now the Mm -hmm. next area I wanna talk about as far as trends in music education is one that you brought up much earlier in this interview. You came about kind of um, classical music and this idea of kind of style. And this is definitely one where I see big changes to the industry. Uh, Today, Mm -hmm. it's definitely, at least in my opinion, a lot less ubiquitous to have lessons that are focused strictly on classical music than it used to. I mean, it still definitely exists, but it's Mm -hmm. not, I don't think, quite the norm maybe as it used to be. Um, And on your podcast, you've highlighted the careers of many non-classical musicians, including jazz composers. And there are many best-selling method books that focus on Mm non-classical styles and almost all of the popular composers of pedagogical piano music that I'm aware of, write in a variety of styles. And I believe Mm -hmm. from what I listen to on SoundCloud, it seems like Eric's music is very eclectic too. So can uh, you talk about the field of piano teaching today with respect to musical
2: style? Sure. I mean, I've come to this, today's version of conclusion. I mean, it took me several, many, many years to come to this conclusion because I'm a strict classical player. And uh, Mm -hmm. so anyway, in my own personal teaching, I teach, I try to teach a basic su- stuff su- such as scales and chords and chord progressions. And of course, I introduce them to classical literature. And if you find the right piece literature for each student, they actually thrive. And there's no hesitation. Now, I also introduce them to blues, jazz, and I also um, let students improvise on songs starting with happy birthday they move on to pop broadway songs and some of my students are thriving on classical music so they do competitions one win the competitions and things like that but i have other students where they create their own write their own songs and i have actually one high school student she um uh, produced her song with her best friend, then posted on all the music streaming services, and then, then they're trying to make a little bit of uh, allowance <laughs> that oh. way. So yeah, but I think um, so. My point is that it's just not about following strictly one method or one yeah book. Oh, those are actually very important to start out, but eventually, I feel, especially these days, we as teachers are responsible to introduce to introduce to students to many different genres and give them options and let them decide what which what music means personal to them. So that's the I don't know if I'm answering yeah, absolutely. the question. <laughs> yeah. And
1: what you're describing where your training growing up was very kind of rigid and one style, but nowadays you teach in a variety of styles and you, as you say, you have students Mm. improvise on Broadway songs and write their own pop songs. Mm. I mean, I think that's definitely a trend that I've seen in the teaching world. I've met a lot of people Mm. like that who growing up, it was nothing but classical. And today, although they're certainly still focused on classical, it's a much more open-minded teaching approach than what they had growing up. I mean, I always love to hear stories like that. Another thing that I find very satisfying in my studio, I don't know if you've had this experience is as connecting the genres or, or sh- having a concept that came up in their classical piece also apply in their pieces that they're playing not in that style and kind of showing to these students that it's all music uh, i just had an experience where i was working with a student on let it go and they were doing that opening bit uh, like that thing. And we were kind of talking about wrist rotation and lifting at the end of that phrase. And then they had a moment of, oh, that's what we did. And the Beethoven. Yeah, absolutely. Piece. So, um, I find moments like that very satisfying.
0: Yeah. I mean, one four five is one four five in any genre, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: I have a lot to say on this subject, actually. I have to try not to get myself into trouble. But um, <laughs> but uh I am first of all a classical musician through and through. Um But with that said, I've definitely lost students in the past because of being too classical in a way, or not just being able to adjust the repertoire when they needed it. Um, And I think we're called on nowadays to be a lot more flexible. I think, you know, in the 20th century, we had this move towards the separation of composition, performance, teach right Um, because you know it didn't used to be like it used to be that all pianists were also composers and improvisers yep exactly exactly so then things got really narrow for a while and now it feels like they're opening up again Um, the other thing is um, because we're all Americans here uh, just the nature of this culture is many different cultural influences from countries all over the world Mm -hmm. right and, um, and in fact, our own American music is not really Western classical European music. So when you look at the influences that the kids we're teaching are surrounded by, they don't get a lot of classical music. Um, now, mm-hmm. it can be our job to teach that to them, for sure. You know, As teachers, we should introduce them to new things. But also, I feel it's just a general kind of rule of principle that everybody, kids, adults, tend to be in the beginning, most attracted to things that they already know and they're already familiar with. Everybody starts off wanting to play the stuff that they know. You know, so as an initial point of connection, it really helps to be able to just give the kids something that's familiar. Um, And then later on, sometimes some of them will get more into classical music. I've been very surprised actually by some of my students who really developed a taste for it as they moved into high school and were playing a very advanced repertoire. I mean, I had one student who was he kind of hit that hump at like 11, 12 years old where he wanted to quit just because I don't even know why, honestly. But so so then I did transcriptions of pop songs and rock songs with him for about a year and a half. And then a couple of years later, he was playing Bach and Liszt and Beethoven and really getting into it. Yeah. Wow. So you you just never know. But if you can be flexible and kind of shift with them as they grow and they follow their own musical journeys, then you're much more likely to see long-term success.
1: Yeah, I like this idea you brought up of the fact that the music is familiar. And in my opinion and experience, there are benefits to having students play familiar music that go beyond just, well, it's nice to give them a variety of styles. I mean, I've also had many situations where because the music was familiar, it allowed them to pick up on things that were rhythmically and in other ways, above their reading level, but not above their playing level. Totally. And I've had a lot of successful instances of teaching rhythm where if they kind of know a song that uses, say, a, a dotted quarter note, then I can be like, oh, you know that song? You know, that's kind of like this. And so I think there's, yeah, again, like a lot of influ- uh, benefits of having students play songs they're familiar to that don't even have anything to do with the genre issue itself. Absolutely.
3: to to tie it up to the internet influence right i, I want to talk about that one student of my uh, remak we which we interviewed he used to be a formal student of mine he became a youtube artist and then but it's not even that when we interview him but a lot of our students my students when they were very young they were influenced by him he was classically trained but he had a perfect you know pitched ear but he couldn't really read music too well. And so he started to play pop songs and then became like number one YouTuber in music uh, in Malaysia, right? And then he has all this, uh, so all the teenagers, he's like our age, right? But he, all the teenagers from all across the world just love him. And I I find that a lot of my students that keep on playing and continue to train in, I I teach a lot of Bach, I teach a lot of very classical, you know, and I grew up in Asia. So, and I studied with a Russian teacher and I moved to Kansas. So all of this experience combined, I almost Mm -hmm. feel like with race influence, and now we are in New York City, as much as, yes, Eric said we're Americans, Mm -hmm. but because the culture is so dramatically different from anywhere else in the world, I think the children are actually much more curious of all different genres. And that's just a great thing, so.
1: Absolutely, that's definitely what I found in my studio too. The last element that I wanna talk about as far as trends to the music industry Um, is teaching very young students. I know um, Yukimi was mentioning that earlier and uh, Claire as well. Uh, So this is definitely an area where there's a lot of changes. And I really enjoyed the episode you had with Andrew Inkovit, who founded the Music Color Method, which definitely departs from some of the traditional methods of teaching very young students. How do you assess the current state of teaching piano to young, very young students like kindergarten or younger? And do you see any kind of changes in that world?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, we have to remember that uh, child psychology, even just psychology in general, is kind of a very young field of study and it's grown tremendously in the last 40 years. So, we know so much more about how kids' minds work and how they learn than we used to. And, you know, uh, piano pedagogy has been adapting with the times. So, one thing that we found out is that reading remains a very abstract concept for quite a while. Um, I think when you go back a few decades, a lot of the traditional uh, piano methods are very reading focused or reading based. I mean, they start you with middle C on the staff, right from the first lesson. We're definitely seeing a move away from that now. So, um, you know, we have modern methods like music color, like piano safari, uh, Rena Gorin's Tales of the Musical Journey, they use a lot of rote pieces, yeah. and this has a lot of advantages. Um, one of the biggest being that you can actually work on other musical elements besides reading, like dynamics, articulation, rhythm, um, even tone production and phrasing from a very early level. Also, um, it's possible to play rote pieces that are just musically a lot more interesting than pieces that are designed to teach reading at the earliest levels, because you know, for any teacher who's familiar with these methods knows when you start off on the staff, you know, you're kind of limited to, you know, sometimes two or three or four different notes right at the beginning. There's not a lot you can do with it. Um, But with rope pieces, you can be jumping all over the place. Yeah. Um, uh, So another thing that we should mention is that there are kids who have dyslexia or other visual processing issues that have um, additional hurdles to overcome when it comes to reading but they can still be very very good musicians and they can do a lot from an early age if you use one of these non-reading focused methods to begin with so that is a big change i would see we're seeing nowadays
1: absolutely the movement towards more rote teaching is the big one that i've seen and i'm a big proponent of that i actually interviewed the um, authors of piano safari on this podcast and they uh, just released a new book that's geared towards preschool students that's basically all rote focused um, another uh, exciting development in this that I've also seen is, I don't know if you know Tim Topham. He does the Top TopCast. Um, I mm-hmm. also interviewed him on this podcast. And he has this new thing now called No Book Beginners. Um, and it's a 10-week challenge of everyone to have the first 10 lessons with a new young student have no books. And it's basically all kind of rote and musicianship. And so I think there's a lot of exciting things like that. Uh, before we go, are there any other trends or changes to the piano teaching world that are of 21st century focus that you'd like to draw attention to?
0: Okay, so I would say neurodiversity is a big one. So one of our guests was Selena Pistaresi, who was also on your show, I believe.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: And, um, And she does something that I still aspire to, which is working with this population of kids with special needs who are so incredible but you need a specific skill set to be able to draw out the best from them. And it is one that people who are traditionally trained, such as myself, may not you know, um, know very much about. Um, but neurodiversity is becoming more and more important. We realize that there's just so many different ways that kids learn. And I really believe that every kid is creative and has a musician in them. And our job is to draw that out of them. But we need the right tools to do it. Um, So we're finding a lot more out in that area. um, And I find that very exciting.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Selena Pistoresi is a great resource for anyone listening. Uh, She has a lot of very helpful tips and workshops and programs that she does to help piano teachers teach uh, neurodiverse students. Okay. Before we go, can you tell our listeners what you're up to now and how they can learn more about you and your podcast?
0: Yeah, sure. Well, um, so first of all, we are on break for the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, The season one finale I saw. (laughs) That's right, with Ben Lottie of, um, of Tone Bass. Um, but uh, part of the reason we're taking a break is because we have a lot of planning to do for the next season and catching up on that. We're planning our next recital for the fall, which is going to be Broadway themed. Oh.
1: Um, is there singers on this or is it going to be kind of arrangements of Broadway songs for a piano?
2: Oh, piano. Yeah, all oh, piano. Uh, how do you say? Uh, piano solo yeah, ar- ar- yeah,
0: exactly. Arrangements, Yeah. Uh, to celebrate the reopening of Broadway. Oh. And um, for anybody who wants to follow us, um, to find out what we're up to, you can check out our website, uh, which is the pianopod.com. Are there any uh, teasers yeah.
1: you can give us of what sorts of things we might be able to expect in season two? Uh,
0: we got some big name guests Ooh. lined up. Um, so uh I guess I'll have yeah. to
1: leave it there. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, sure.
0: <clears throat> we'll, we'll be dropping little hints throughout the summer. OK, so okay,
1: well, I'm excited to see. OK, well, I, have, I think I've made it very clear in this interview. I'm a gigantic fan of your work and I really enjoy listening to it. And it's definitely made my teaching a lot better to hear such a wide range of guests on such a wide range of topics. So thanks for everything you do. And thanks for coming on the podcast today.
0: Thank you so much, Ben. Thank
2: you so much. Thank
1: you so much. And thanks, all of you for tuning in to All Keyed Up. I'll see you next time.